Let's read the Word of God. Uh, today's text is from John chapter 21, verses 18 to 25. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So saying, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who, was, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Where were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your grace on our life. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in our place. And we thank you that he resurrected to give us newness of life. Jesus, we praise you for your life that you apply to us, your death that you apply to us, and your resurrection that you apply to us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us the Bible, your word to us, to encourage us, to lead us in righteousness. And so, God, as our triune God, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all of salvation. And may today we know your calling on every single individual's life. May we know it. May we pursue it with everything that we have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, if you're new, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, you could do me a favor and, and uh, introduce yourself to me after the service of if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet, meet you. I'm so grateful that you all are here this morning. You could do many other things. Uh, lots of people are doing other things. Uh, but with, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, making the decision to be here, to encourage each other and be encouraged by the gospel, um, I'm grateful for that. I'm great you encourage me. I was out of town uh, last week. My son, for the last four uh, months or so, was at Lineman College. And so they were teaching him how to climb telephone poles like a monkey with a tool belt and work with high voltage and all that kind of stuff. And he got all his certificates. And, and so I had gone to an Acts 29 pastor's gathering in Newport. I drove up to a little town called Oroville in Northern California. And uh, Shannon, my wife, my daughter, uh, Shay, and Dakota's girlfriend flew into Sacramento, and I caught up with them there. And then we drove uh, the rest of the way together. Um, so we got into town Thursday, 
of last week, and we were supposed to stay in a, at a Best Western in a little town called Paradise, California. And so it was uh, that the afternoon that we learned that Thursday morning, Paradise caught on fire and burned to the ground. And, um, and uh, it was just weird. We'd never... I never even heard of Paradise, California. Had no reason to go there. It's in the middle of nowhere. The day we show up, it catches on fire, which is really weird. And um, we stay in a, um, a neighboring town in Butte County. Uh, we found an um, Airbnb, a little ranch house with pigs and peacocks and stuff. It was kind of cool. The smoke was pretty bad, though. And, uh, you know, Shannon, you know, the last few years, Shannon's, had some major health problems, lots of weird stuff happening to Shannon. She started having difficulty breathing. Um, we uh, found out that Dakota's instructors, lots of them lived in paradise, and most of them lost their homes. Uh, while he was there at school, their wives and children were showing up weeping because they just lost everything. Uh, a lot of the people, they, they were evacuating, packed up their car with the most important things, were heading out. Gridlock happened. The fire was catching up. People had to walk away from their cars. And I saw, I don't know, you may have seen the photos. Cars burned up with the very last of what they had destroyed. Um, my son heard, there's this older guy there, 80 years old, has been at the school forever. You overheard him talking to his wife saying, oh, honey, you got you to gotta get out of there. Just grab the pictures and let everything else burn. So everybody lost everything. Um, firefighters from all over the country uh, were mobilized. Uh, the, the, the church that was going to be used for the graduation um, started housing people, and so the graduation got moved to the location of a school, but then when we found out all, the, all of the instructors were, had their homes threatened, his graduation got canceled. Um, so we were together as a family, and that was good, and we made our way back, and Shannon was still having a hard time breathing. Tuesday morning, we take her to the doctor. She's at Kaiser San Marcos for like five hours. And then they transport her via ambulance to uh, the ER in Palomar uh, because they discovered that she had fluid in her lungs. And they wanted to make sure she didn't have a blood clot in her lungs or that she had a heart problem that was causing... Um, you know, fluid in, in her lungs. So we were there forever, and then late at night, we're told they're going to keep her over overnight to watch her. And then in the morning, uh, she was able to get a sonogram, and um, they, they cleared her. The, no, no heart problems. Uh, the MRI proved that no blood clot was there, so thanking God uh, for that. And they gave her um, a, this steroid, um, this thing that she inhaled. It looked like, a, like she was vaping. You know, she had this contraption with smoke, and I, I sent a picture to the kids. Mom's totally vaping right now. They're like, she's so cool. And uh, so, so that was helping uh, clear her. And, and that morning, Wednesday morning, we're having our very last conversation with the nurse on our way out. Um, and uh, my phone rang, and it was Dakota, and I answered and he said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but Shay and I were gonna, on our way to drop something off at her school, and somebody ran a red light and crashed into my car. And so somebody collided into his car. 
I had just put, you know, a bunch of money into it, fixing it for his graduation, you know, uh, present. So he got to enjoy that for two days. Um, and uh, I had one of the things I'd fixed were his headlights were all cloudy and I got them all cleaned up and there was a bunch of other stuff. But after the accident, my son's all, well, at least the headlights still look good. So, <laughs> so that's good. And uh, it was just weird. As we're checking out of the hospital, he gets in this, you know, this, this accident. And so we go from the hospital to the location of the accident. And, you know, it's crazy. Tragedy and catastrophes and stuff like that have a way of clarifying your priorities. They have a way of clarifying what's important. Uh, Clarifying what, not only what you will do, but what you will not do. What you will say yes to, and probably more importantly, what you will say no to. Um, You know, if you're getting evacuated, you're not going to be like, oh, but I got to finish this level on Halo or whatever, you know? (laughs) Your priorities change. When, When your kid's in an accident, your priorities change. It's shaped by by who you are, you know? This, this church, they change your priorities. They're there for the community, right? Um, you know, the, all the EMTs and the first responders and firefighters from all the country, it was easy to prioritize, you know, what they had to do. You know, as a, as a dad, my kids get, you know, we got to get there. My, my role as a husband, I mean, it just changes all of your priorities and gives you clarity, especially when things go wrong. I think... Um, it's real easy uh, to take so much stuff for granted. And we're pretty comfortable here in Southern California. And at the same time, we're stressed out, we're fragmented, we're pulled apart because there are so many different competing distractions and, and demands. No simplicity, no peace. Um, I think that uh, it's important to stop and, and remember what is important because we can be we can get stuck on cruise control, just go through the motions, go with the flow, and go with whatever our impulses are, as opposed to being guided by what's important. Today, especially in Southern California, man, we have more options than you can shake a stick at. Do so many different things. Life gets incredibly complicated. That's not necessarily a bad thing. We just haven't handled it very well, and our anxiety level hits the roof, and we either shut down or we just spin out out of, you know, from all the anxiety. And I want to address this anxiety issue a bit. I mean, it's a um, if you have like a physiological problem that leads to chronic anxiety, that's a different uh, conversation. I'm talking about the anxiety that we have from having a lack of clarity on what's important. The word anxiety comes from a word meaning to tear apart. That's kind of appropriate, right? Most people are filled with anxiety because their lives are torn apart by so many good options and all the demands that, that pull us in different directions. It's no wonder that so many people just shut down, give up, or become apathetic. And I think apathy is probably the most common symptom. 
to just disconnect, to escape. We're probably not going to completely solve uh, the problem of feeling torn apart this morning, but I want to talk about the key to the solution. I want to talk to you about God's call on your life. We're told your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your calling is God's role for you in his kingdom wherever he leads you. And it might not be where you wanted to go or where you thought you'd end up. A calling to your family, to your work, to your community. And if you're a Christian, a calling to your community of faith, the church. In order to deal with your fragmented life, in order to have simplicity, in order to have unity, in order to have purpose, in order to have focus, you need to discover and live out your your calling. So how do you do that? Before you start, I want you to keep something in mind, and that's this. You can't do it on your own. God didn't mobilize a bunch of lone rangers. He mobilized a church, a community of grace, a missionary family. You need your church family for encouragement, for accountability, for a fuller expression of of the church. The church was designed to work together. And with that in mind, how can we discover our personal calling? I think we see, see three things in our text. And I apologize I don't have a handout for you this morning. I have one every week, but things have been a little crazy lately. First one is this. Focus on God's calling for you. God had a unique calling for Peter. Right before the section we read, Jesus summarizes Peter's purpose, and Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. This means that that Peter was to be an under-shepherd, a pastor. And in verse 18, he adds something to that. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So what does that mean, stretching out your hands? That is a reference to crucifixion. Exactly what happened to Jesus. When Jesus carried his crossbeam, his outstretched arms uh, were bound to it on each side. He was led to the place of execution, and there they nailed him to the cross. And he's saying, Peter, when you are older, you are going to die on a cross. And you will glorify God through that. Peter lived for 30 years with that proclamation hanging over his head. How in the world did he do that? We're going to look at that in a minute, but for now, it involved focusing on God's call for his life. God had a unique call for Peter, and and, and God has a unique calling for you. Peter's calling is not your calling. Your calling is not my calling. You have uh, unique abilities. God gives each of us special abilities to serve God and others. You have unique life situation. He gives each of us specific you know, responsibilities in our family or our work or our community. All of us have our own successes and we all have our own failures. We all have our own strengths and we all have our own weaknesses and God uses all of it. 
He uses it all. Some people, you know, God has given them an incredible amount of influence and strength to be able to uh, leverage that for the kingdom of God. And then there are others who are just weak and, and for whatever reason, like God has called them to a life of physical weakness and illness. Let me tell you something. <laughs> that has something to do with God's call on your life. I'm amazed. Yes, I'm amazed like by you know, faithful, gospel-centered preachers who are, you know, just having a great uh, and important um, influence within, within the church and our nation and around the world and stuff like that. But also, I am absolutely amazed by my wife, who's stuck in bed most of the time, and the way that she can encourage other people in ways I never could, in the way that she builds up their faith, and praise for them. She's living out God's call on her life. It just looks a lot different than she had expected. Wherever you are, wherever God leads you, you have unique passions and concerns. Some of you have a passion for justice. Some of you have a passion for, for knowledge or music or serving people in practical ways. My question for you this morning is this. In what direction is God leading you? Have you, have you thought about that? In what direction is God leading you? It might not be where you thought it would be, but has he given you any clues, any hints? Are you pursuing God's call on your life to bring simplicity and unity and focus and purpose to your life? Or are you just kind of going with the flow and just getting distracted by this shiny object over here and a squirrel over there? It leads to being torn apart. If, if your answer is, no, I don't know where God is leading me, I, I want to encourage you to not just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well. I, 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 want, you to, I want you to talk with somebody that you're close to. Do it today. And ask them to pray with you and for you and, and, and to... Discuss the next steps you're going to take. Talk, talk to me. Talk to Tom. Talk to Josh. Any of the elders. Talk to, uh, talk to Ming. And, and, and don't think I'm talking to the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, whatever. I'm, I'm talking to you. And it might be serving in an official capacity or unofficial capacity. However, my, my wife is serving in an unofficial capacity. But she's serving. She, there are other things that she would like to do. Some of you, got, man, some of you, God's called you to disciple children. Guess what? We need help with that. Someone who doesn't view it as babysitting but uses it as a calling. I'm going to pour into these kids with the gospel of Jesus. You know? And let me tell you something. That's a, that's a thankless ministry, and if things don't go perfectly with your kids, man, the, these volunteers who are grinding it out can easily just get dis discouraged by criticism. They're not in it for the money or the fame. They're in it because it's a calling, you know? What's God calling you to do?
God uses the combination of your God-given abilities and your life situations, your passions, your strengths and weaknesses, successes and failures to shape your call. You know what this means? First, it means that there are things that you're just not going to be able to do with your life. There are things that you should not be doing with your life, not because they're bad, because you have limited time and, you know, your calling is more important than all these other things. That means that you do, I'm not saying that you do nothing but wake up and preach the gospel to every single person you come into contact with every single day, nonstop. I'm not necessarily talking about, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy the gifts of God. They are gifts from, from God. I'm just saying, be conscious of God's call on your life and know that you can't do it all and you shouldn't do it all. If you're spread out too thin, wrestle with what it is that you're going to stop doing. What are you going to stop doing? There's so many people who have neglected their call in the name of good things like, you know, my family comes first. Sounds so good. Sounds righteous. Family is good. But as Christians, God's called our family to be on mission for him. We can enjoy good things with our family, blessings from God. But we've got to remember what's most important, right? This also means you're free from other people judging you for what you're not doing. A lot of well-meaning people, they get excited about their own unique calling sometimes and they to project their calling on everybody else. Oh, you're not doing this, you must not love Jesus or people. Right? No, you just have a different calling. There are some common things that we're all called to do as part of God's family, but God makes us different so that, so uh, to do, he makes us different so that we all have uh, something that that is unique to us, and then we work all together like a functioning body of Christ. My hope is that you are filled with the freedom to pursue God's call on your life, on what is most important, and do it with all your heart. The next one is this, that comparing, comparing kills your calling. If you compare yourself to others, you will miss your own calling. Jesus' calling for John was different than Peter's. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now the author points out the close relationship between this other disciple and Jesus. And what this does is that it helps us see that Peter's calling doesn't make him any more special than this disciple or anyone else. This other disciple was called to live a long life as a faithful witness and die a natural uh, death. And it's no less important or no more important or no less important than Peter and his call to be a pastor and a martyr. He, he wants us to understand that we don't have to, pray, to play this stupid comparison game to exalt certain callings and, and, and to exalt certain people above others so that, so that we don't despise our own calling and become jealous of others. Maybe you had your calling figured out and God said, nope, you're not doing that anymore. I'm having you do this now. And you feel like, oh man, my life is just a waste. No, God just changed your calling, that's all. 
And God wants you to embrace it and love it. Throw yourself into it. Don't despise your own calling. Don't become jealous of uh, others. It's ridiculous. And we won't boast in our calling and look down on others. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Hey, Peter, it's none of your business. That sounds kind of harsh, right? All Peter did was ask, hey, what about him? Here's the thing. Jesus loves Peter. And he knows that there is something wrong with Peter's heart. It's the only reason that Jesus would respond like this. It would distract Peter from following him. Jesus says, don't compare your calling to John's. The only thing that matters is that you follow me. I'll take care of John. I made it real simple for Peter. So what exactly is it that's wrong with Peter's heart? Well, we don't exactly know, but I think it points to a problem with my own heart, a problem I believe that Jesus wants to fix. Because he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It's true for me and true for you. When the risen Jesus appears to his disciples here, it's early in the morning, and the disciples are coming in from fishing, and, and they hit the beach. Jesus is there, and he's making them breakfast. And they all sit down, and they eat together. Now, Peter had publicly denied Jesus. But, but now Jesus is publicly reinstating him, bringing him back into community, expressing love, with, uh, love to him and, and is in communion with him. And, and, and while they're all sitting there, Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me more than these other disciples love me? He asked that because he knows Peter has a problem comparing himself to other people. In John 13, the night Jesus was arrested, Jesus was talking to his disciples about his death. And Peter said, I will follow you, Lord. I will lay my life down for you. And you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, we will follow you. We will lay down our lives for you. Peter was comparing himself to the others and claiming that he loved Jesus more than these other losers. These other guys might not, might not die for you, but I will. And what did Peter do? He publicly denied that he even knew Jesus in Jesus' most desperate hour. So Jesus lovingly confronts Peter with his sin, and, and he goes on to tell Peter, and, and he confronts him not to shame him, but to restore him. And he goes on to tell Peter that when he's older, he will faithfully follow Jesus in, in death. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, follow me. And they, actually, they get up and they start walking together. Peter turned, saw the other disciple following him, and Peter said, what about him? And Jesus says, Peter, if you keep looking at others, you will be distracted. I am telling you that comparing your calling will kill your ability to see and pursue your calling. To the extent that you are following Jesus, you will not compare yourselves to others. Because when you compare yourself to others, it will lead to pride. It will lead to jealousy. It can only distract you from following Jesus. I'm telling you, I know this from personal experience. 
what is it that's going on in your heart if we're comparing? You know, for me personally, you know, when I compare myself to other people, I, I want to know how I'm doing, right? I want to know if, like, I'm on, on track. I, I want to, there's a part of me, it's not all of me, but, you know, there's a part of my heart where, where I want to kind of feed my pride and, and calm my, my insecurities, you know? And the sin beneath my sin is that I'm looking to my significance and my satisfaction, not in Jesus, but in my performance, you know? When I do that, I am not following Jesus. You know, it's so weird. It's so weird. We get together on Sunday mornings to focus on Jesus. And God's called me to lead in that process, to bring us all to, to focus on Jesus together. And I come in, and it's 1040 or something. I'm, I'm here sitting in my chair back there. And I'm like, where is everybody? Well, it's San Diego. People show up 20 minutes later. That's just the way it works around here. But still, every morning, I, I, I have to remember why I'm here and fix my eyes on Jesus and, and worship him. You know, I mean, it's in the midst of, doing, of, of calling people to fix their eyes on Jesus, you can lose sight of Jesus. That's how easy it is. That's why we need each other. So how do we live out our calling with freedom and integrity? Focus on God's calling for you. Don't compare yourself to others. And then third, we've already been hitting on this, and that is look to and follow Jesus. This right here is our ultimate calling. Two times Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Verse, verse 19, uh, Jesus said to show, uh, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And then verse 22, Jesus said to him, it is my will that he remain, in, if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. You know what, there are a lot of people who, who don't exactly know what their calling is and maybe they have a certain amount of angst about it and maybe they feel paralyzed by, by it. You know, they lack focus and unity of purpose. You know, every single one of us gets confused at times about our calling, but there's one thing that you can know for sure, that you are called to follow Jesus. If you do nothing else, if you don't know all the specifics, you are called to follow Jesus. That brings unity and purpose to your life. It, it, it makes the insecurities and frustrations evaporate when your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Jesus invites each of us to follow him. This is the most important calling in life because it's the best thing for you. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him because he's got some, some ego problem or whatever. It is the best thing for us. You know, I, I've told you I never planned on, on being a pastor. It wasn't on my list. So I didn't get into this thing the same way most pastors around here get into it. So, to be honest, I have a constant temptation to feel unsure about my calling. You know, am I really supposed to be doing this? And I, I'm not saying that to sound humble or, I, I'm, I'm telling you, there, there are times where I wrestle with uncertainty. But then, 
by God's grace, every now and then I remember that one thing is absolutely sure. I belong to Jesus, and he's called me to follow him. That's it. When I look to and follow Jesus, that's when he makes my calling uh, clear. You know? He called me to preach the gospel of grace and to lead and care for and disciple those that he brings. It is my highest calling to be a follower of Jesus. Your your unique calling may be different than mine and everybody else's, but we're all called to follow Jesus. That is your top priority, and there's nothing more important than that. So what's it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we love, trust, and obey Jesus above all else, above all others. To enter a relationship and mission with Jesus, no matter where he leads you, You look at Peter, the Bible doesn't record Peter's death, but church history does. UCBS, an ancient historian, tells us that it was 61 AD under the reign of Nero. Peter was uh, in uh, prison while Nero was ruling the world and just slaughtering so many people, including countless Christians. And one horrible morning, Peter was brought up from the prison to a place of execution And he was forced to watch his wife get crucified. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? What what do you say? What do you do? What do you think? In times like those, so-called Christian self-help sermons, so-called Christian how-to sermons aren't going to give you any help at all. History records that Peter stood before his wife as she was dying, and he cried out simply, remember the Lord. What else is there to do? What else is there to say? In a time like that, remember the Lord. I remember Harvey Hoekstra, 30 years of missionary in Africa, just faithfully served. And um, shortly before he died, he was like 96 or something, visiting him. And he had fallen and broken a couple bones. And I visited him, asked how I could be praying for him. And he could have mentioned a million things and that would have been fine, but I'll never forget what he said. He said that I remain close to the Lord and then everything else will be okay. Peter was taken back to his dungeon. He stayed overnight and we're told that the jailer embraced Christianity. The next day, Peter stretched out his hands, cross beam was fastened, He was led to the place of death, and according to church tradition, at his request, he was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be killed in the same way of his Lord. How in the world could Peter do that? 
Apparently, you didn't read the book, How to Have Your Best Life Now. That didn't help him, right? You need something stronger, something stable, something that will see you through. This is the same guy that denied Jesus when Jesus got arrested. Now he's willing to die an agonizing death as a follower of Jesus? I mean, what in the world changed? This right here is the most important part of the message. Okay? This right here. The only way to follow Jesus, the only way to stop comparing yourself to others, the only way to focus on God's call for your life is to understand the answer to the question, what changed Peter? What changed Peter was that Peter finally understood the purpose and the meaning of Jesus' death. That was the game changer. That changed it all. Nothing else would have happened. No change would have happened in Peter's life. He couldn't muster it up. This is what changed Peter. He understood the purpose of Jesus' death. Uh, He didn't at first. When Jesus told the disciples that he was going to die, Peter rebuked Jesus and said, Lord, this will never happen to you. You know why Peter said that? It's because Peter didn't expect, he didn't expect a crucified Messiah. He didn't want a crucified Messiah. So when Jesus was arrested, Peter denies him. I guess he's not who I thought he was. And then, and then when Jesus was crucified, Peter was crushed with despair because I guess Jesus wasn't who I hoped he'd be, who I wanted him to be. He saw no purpose in Jesus' suffering and death. After the resurrection, Jesus explains from the Old Testament, the scriptures that they had at that time, why the Messiah must die. And then Peter finally gets it, and he is radically transformed. And he writes in 1 Peter, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And Peter was changed from a man filled with pride and filled with insecurity into a man filled with humility and filled with confidence by realizing that Jesus died on the cross for his sin. What about you? Do you believe that, 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 Jesus, that Jesus bore your sins on, on the tree? And you may sit there and go, I've been to church my whole life. Of course I believe that. But here's the deal. To the extent that you believe that, your life changes. There's fruit. There's evidence of it. If you know and cherish this truth that Jesus bore your sin on the tree, uh, you will, you just will follow Jesus. No other response makes any sense. How could you not follow Jesus knowing that this is what he's done for you out of just, just sheer grace? Because he just chose to love you. Not because you could do anything to earn it. Not because you were good enough. None of us could be. But just because he's gracious to you. The only response that makes any sense is to follow him out of grateful love. Countless people follow Jesus out of selfishness. If I obey him, God will bless me. You're not really after Jesus. You're after what he can give you. Some follow out of fear. If I don't obey God, God's going to punish me. And so the only reason we obey is so we can avoid getting the lightning bolts or whatever. Not because we love him. 
and we're loyal to him as our king because of who he is and what he's done. The Christian follows out of grateful love. Jesus bore our sins on the tree, and then we're fully forgiven. There's nothing to fear. And now all of God's blessings are ours through him. There is nothing to earn. You can't earn it. We follow him out of grateful love. And then you'll stop comparing yourself to others. When we believe Jesus bore sin on the tree, our pride is replaced with humility. We, we believe I was so lost, Jesus had to die for me. And our insecurity evaporates, gets replaced with confidence because I was so loved by Jesus, he was glad to die for me. And then comparing becomes just dumb. And you, will, and you see it of how, for how ridiculous it is. And you will seek out God's call in your life with a sense of freedom. A sense of uh, adventure and with joy. And then finally, you will experience unity and purpose and simplicity of life. Why do we feel fragmented and torn apart and lacking in clarity and purpose? It's because so many good options compete for the center of our lives. We think it sounds so good to say family first. And then people who put family first end up ruining their family. They invest so much in their family and what their family can do for them. Their expectations are so high. Nobody can ever live up to your expectations of your family. But if Jesus is your highest calling, then you become a missionary family. You become a family that worships God uh, t- together. And you realize, look, my family's not my own. They, bo- they belong to God, and we're going to worship him and follow him and be loyal to him together because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And if family's not centered, then it may be work or friends or even ministry or romance or, or whatever. And we will be let down because they can't live up to our hopes and dreams. They're good things, but they become destructive things when they become the most important thing. We can't truly love our family until we love Jesus most of all. We're so afraid of missing out on stuff, and so we get torn in different directions. But to the extent that you believe that Jesus bore your sins on the tree, then you realize that only Jesus is worthy to be the center of your life. That gives you perspective on everything else and what enables you to actually enjoy everything else. You realize that if you have everything but Jesus, you have nothing. If you have nothing but Jesus, you have absolutely everything. So follow him. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?